there is a, uh, a story of uh, an Amish family who, who went to the, uh, the big city for the very first time. And they were awestruck by everything they saw. Having grown up and lived all their lives on a rural farm, everything was new and amazing and exciting to them. Eventually, they made their way to a towering skyscraper, the tallest in the city. And so the father and son decided to go in while they left Ma in the horse buggy outside. As the boy and father entered the first floor of the building, they came to two shiny doors that could move apart and back together again, which left them spellbound. They stood watching these doors until the son asked his father, What is this, father? The father, having never seen an elevator before, responded, Son, I don't know what it is. It's a mystery to me. While the boy and his father were watching in amazement, an elderly lady in a wheelchair rolled up to the moving shiny doors and pressed a button. The doors opened and the lady rolled her way into the elevator. The doors closed and the boy and his father watched small circles with numbers in them light up above the doors. A few moments later, They watched the circles above the doors light up again, but this time in the reverse direction. Then the doors opened up. And to their surprise, a beautiful young woman stepped out. To which the father responded, boy, go get your mom. Given the circumstances, there are some things in uh, some things that will be mysterious and uncertain to us. There will be things that we are not sure about. And this morning, like this father and son, we're going to be faced with some mysteries and some uncertainties from the Apostle John that will leave us with more questions than answers. You recall from last week, we looked at what will happen to the unrepentant people of the earth during the last portion of the tribulation period. After the fifth and the sixth trumpets are sounded by the angels. I described it, if you recall, as a hell on earth. A hell on earth where demons come in two separate waves. First, to inflict agony and torment for five months. You remember? And then later to kill a third of the remaining population. It's a small taste of hell where people will experience how they will be treated for eternity if they do not repent and come to the Lord. Last week, we concluded with the sixth trumpet. And now, as we make our way to the seventh, 
we come to a pause. A pause in the action. So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 10. And we'll begin with verse 1. Revelation 10, verse 1. And I think it's probably up behind me on the board. Okay. Are you there? Okay. And I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, a little book which was open. Let's stop there. In verse 1, John tells us he sees something new. It's not an angel with a trumpet. Instead, it's a strong angel coming down out of heaven. And this angel is clothed with a cloud, has a rainbow upon his head, the face like the sun, and feet like pillars of fire. And the obvious question is, who is this? And in all honesty, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think anyone knows for certain who this is. But I will tell you there are two clear trains of thought. That being, this is either the Lord Jesus Christ himself appearing as an angel, or it's a mighty high-ranking angel. Now, from the description given by John, some suggest this is Jesus. And in many respects, I can absolutely see that. Face like the sun. Feet like pillars of fire. Both of these are similar to the description of Jesus back in Revelation chapter 1. And I guess if Jesus wanted to present himself as an angel, like many believe he did way back in the Old Testament, then Jesus could surely do so here. But with that said, I don't believe this is Jesus that John is describing. I believe it is a high-ranking angel, and I say this for several reasons, okay? First, in regards to his appearance, it would be reasonable to expect that high-ranking angels who have been in the presence of God, like Gabriel, may very well reflect the image and the glory of God in their appearance. I think we saw some of that with the four angelic creatures who surrounded the throne. Remember that? Back in chapter 4. If you recall, their descriptions seem to represent certain aspects of God's nature and God's creation. A second reason I believe that this is a high-ranking angel is because Jesus is never mentioned as an angel in the book of Revelation or anywhere else in the New Testament. In fact, in the book of Hebrews... Jesus is clearly described as being far superior 
to any of the angels. But lastly, and I think most importantly, is John's use of the word another in the first verse. That word another means there are other strong angels like him. Or there are more of the same kind of angels. For example, back in Revelation chapter 5, verse 2, John tells us, And I saw another, excuse me, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? In that passage, the strong angel was not Jesus. Rather, he was speaking about Jesus, the Lamb of God, the only one who was worthy to take the scroll from the Father and to break its seals. And I say all of that to say this. Jesus would not be described as just another strong angel, suggesting he is one of many other strong angels. For we know that Jesus is one of a kind. He is the Son of God. So I believe John is saying just what he means to say. He sees another mighty angel, possibly an archangel like Gabriel, who regularly stands in the presence of God. And we are told he has a little book in his hand, or more accurately, a little scroll. And it was opened. Is this the same scroll that Jesus had? The title deed to the earth that had seven seals on it that he broke one at a time? It could very well be the exact same scroll. Or... It could be something else. And I say that because John describes it as a little scroll. Again, it's another uncertainty that we are presented with in this chapter. Now, continuing with verse 2, John tells us what this angel does. John says, he placed his right foot on the sea and his left hand left on the, on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When, I, when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. If you remember from last week, at the sounding of the fifth and the sixth trumpets, John witnessed several powerful, wicked, fallen angels, such as the destroyer, the angel of the abyss, who led his demons to inflict torment on the people for five months. And then there were the four fallen angels bound at the Euphrates River who led their armies of demons to kill a third of mankind. They were powerful, demonic beings. But they become puny 
in comparison when this mighty angel makes his presence known. John tells us he stands with his feet over both the sea and the land, implying he is both impressive and massive. And the placement of his feet serve as a symbolic reminder that God is sovereign over all. The earth and all that is in it belongs to the Lord and He has authority to bring the final judgment upon it with the seventh trumpet and the seven bowls still to come. In spite of these these hell on earth conditions, everything is under God's feet. And He is still in control. We're told that when this strong angel cried out like a roaring lion, seven peals of thunder spoke. I have no idea what that means. For nowhere else in the Bible, nor in Jewish tradition, do seven thunders appear. But here, they seem to speak for God. John hears them. They apparently give a clear message. And as his habit, John is going to write it all down. But he is interrupted. And a voice from heaven says, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them down. Whatever these seven thunders said was apparently for John's benefit only. Not ours. Not ours. And so it is not written down for us. This is similar to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, where the Apostle Paul shared that he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. We want to know. We want to figure it out. We want answers to our questions, but the truth is, like it or not, God does not reveal everything to us. And sometimes, the wisest thing we can do is to leave them just as they are. As uncertainties and mysteries. Is it frustrating? You bet it is. Trying to unravel this difficult chapter has been frustrating for me all week. But it is what it is. We are left with uncertainties and mysteries. And the worst thing I can do is to wildly speculate or to fill in the blanks. That should not be filled in. Okay. Let's continue with verse 5. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth, and the things in it, and the sea, and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then 
The mystery of God is finished. As he preached to his servants, the prophets. Similar to our own custom of swearing an oath in court by placing our right hand on the Bible and raising our left, this strong angel lifted his right hand and swore by him who lives forever and ever. The angel swore an oath to God. And what is this oath? There will be delay no longer. The waiting is over. The mystery of God is finished. And what is this mystery? He doesn't tell us here. But we are given a clue. We are told it's connected with the seventh trumpet. And so we will have to wait till next week in chapter 11. Sorry. But suffice to say that things are drawing to an end very quickly. Christ will return just as he promised and he will set up his earthly kingdom. He will be victorious and good will ultimately triumph over evil. Then this mighty angel becomes silent. And another voice is heard. And John tells us, beginning with verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me. And saying, go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So, I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. We are told a voice from heaven, a voice from heaven, not sure whose, commands John to take the scroll from the mighty angel. And so John approached the angel and requested it. The angel told John, take it and eat it. But the angel cautioned John that even if it is sweet in his mouth like honey, it would be bitter in his stomach. It would make his stomach churn. Now, this wasn't the first time that someone was told to eat a scroll. Back in Ezekiel, chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 3, we read a similar exchange between God and the prophet Ezekiel. Verse 8. Now you, son of man, Listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth 
and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. So this this begs the question, why eat it? Why eat it? Eating is a symbol for receiving God's message. It's a symbol of receiving knowledge. John is commanded to consume, to digest God's word into his life so that it would change him personally and challenge him to continue with the important mission of sharing the gospel to all people. We have heard the old adage, you are what you eat. We've all heard that. You are what you eat. This is true for us when it comes to food. And it's just as true when it comes to the Word of God. It's not enough to just read the Bible. We must study it. We need to consume it. We need to digest it and actually apply it to our life. When speaking about its content for a moment, there are truths in the Bible that are sweet. They bring comfort and encouragement and joy. But there are also truths in the Bible that are very bitter. They are hard and painful and difficult to swallow. But maybe, just maybe, we don't fully appreciate the sweetness without the bitterness. Isn't that why we add salt to watermelon? It's the bitterness of the salt that causes us to appreciate the sweetness of the melon. And maybe that is the case with the Word of God as well. We are told That John does exactly what he was commanded to do. He took the little scroll and he ate it. And sure enough, it tasted sweet as honey, but it turned sour in his stomach. And after John had digested it, he was recommissioned to prophesy again. Even though he was a very old man imprisoned in a Roman penal colony on the island of Patmos, his mission was not finished. He still had work to do. Okay. I thought long and hard on what I wanted to leave you with this morning. 
And oddly enough, where I landed had very little to do with the end times content of our passage and more to do with the mysteries and the uncertainties we found in our passage. In other words, just like in our study, how are we to deal with the mysteries and the uncertainties that we face in this life? And more specifically, as they relate to God's hand in our life. I mean, we know that God loves us. We know that God is with us. We know He is always at work in our lives. But if you are like me, I wish I had more answers to my questions. And at times... I wish I had a better idea of what God was really doing in my life. I think that goes for all of us. But the truth is, for all of us, there are things about God and there are ways in which He works that we will never fully understand. Because just like those seven thunders... He hasn't revealed it to us. Instead, God gives us the truth we need to know about Him and His ways. And in those instances where we are presented with mysteries and uncertainties, in those times where an answer to our question is nowhere to be found, at least not yet, what are we left with? We are left with trusting God. We may not understand our circumstances. And we may not understand God's action in our circumstances. But we can trust in his unchanging character and be assured that God is always loving. He is compassionate and gracious, faithful and merciful. God is in control even when we do not understand and he is always working out his plan for our greater Life is filled with mysteries and uncertainties. But God's character is unchanging and it's constant. In his book, They Call Me Pastor, H.B. London tells the following story. It's a true story. Four doctors in surgical greens stood before Dave and Jana at the Huntington Memorial Hospital in Pasadena. I stood by helplessly as one doctor spoke. Your baby has died of sudden infant death syndrome. We want to give you a chance to hold your child before we take her. I watched this young couple. Their shoulders shook with emotion as they held their firstborn for the first time. My mind raced to find something to say to the shocked young couple. I wanted to tell them that everything would be okay. But that wasn't true. Their baby 
was dead. All my pastoral training and experience seemed to fail me then. Dave and Jana, I began with words that were broken and slow. I don't know why this awful loss has come to you, but I know God loves you as if you were the only ones in the whole world to love. If you accept his love, if you believe he does love you, you'll make it. If you don't, you won't. Those were the only words I had for them. They seemed awfully empty at the time. I choked back my own emotions while they tried valiantly to cling to their newfound faith. But something happened in that hospital room. Neither the couple nor I had words to erase the pain but a holy presence invaded that space. God joined the three of us. Just as in the Old Testament story of the fiery furnace, when God himself came to comfort Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we felt in the fiery trial of suffering an assurance that God was caring for us. In all the pain, I remembered what a precious time we had a few weeks earlier when we dedicated their baby in a worship service. Now this. I confess that a few times in my ministry, the wise from my heart have almost made me quit. I am sure you have experienced similar anguish. One day, after coming to focus on the family, I received a letter with a picture of Dave and Jana holding a beautiful baby. They wrote, H.B., You probably don't think we heard you when you encouraged us to cling to the love of God when our baby died. But we heard you clearly. So we have believed over and over that God loves us as if we were the only ones to love. We have learned to live in the love of God. We quote your words to each other often. The Lord is gracious. Notice in the picture we are holding a beautiful new baby. God's special gift to us. We don't understand why we lost our first child. We still hurt when we think about it. But we don't question God anymore. I have thought a lot about their faith and mine since receiving that letter. Some tough situations are mysteries beyond our comprehension. Mysteries greater than our answers. Mysteries that stretch our faith. Mysteries that force us to turn to God because we can't find answers anywhere else. Whether we are faced with the mysteries and uncertainties in the Bible or in life. No matter the circumstances, we can be completely certain in the constant and unchanging character of God.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I am reminded often of how forgiving you are, how merciful you are, how patient you are, how compassionate and loving and gracious you are. In spite of us, you are these things because that's who you are. You are a good God. Thank you for loving us when we are so unlovable. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. You're so good. And Father, in those those times of uncertainty in our lives, And there are many. We live in uncertain times. We know that you are constant. You are a rock. And that we can lean on you. So Father, help us not to fret. Help us not to worry. But help us to look to you. The King of Kings the Lord of Lords. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking this morning on the way in, maybe it's not so much what we know, or what we don't know. What's important is who we know. Right? The wise will never go away. Never. That question never goes away. Why me? Why did this happen? There will always be uncertainties and mysteries in life. We just read a bunch in the Bible. (laughs) How many times did I tell you? I don't know. (laughs) But that's the truth. That's the truth. It's a reflection of life. We are faced with mysteries and uncertainties all the time. But thank God... We know who is constant. And we can trust him. That's why we need faith, right? That's why we need faith. In those times when everything else is moving and shaking and and changing, we know who does not move, who who is solid as a rock and is constant. And we can keep our eyes on him. Even though everything else around us seems to be falling apart. God is good. I'm glad you're here this morning. I really am. I'm glad you're here this morning. I I, I hope that even in the midst of my inability to explain this passage, that I hope the Lord spoke to you in some way. It's about who we trust. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I would love to talk to you about him. I really would. If you're looking for a church home, love to have you here. If there's something else you need prayer about, I would love to pray with you. However the Lord moves you, I just ask you be obedient to him and respond to him. Again, thank you for coming this morning. I'd like to close in prayer uh, for our offering. Just remind me, we have baskets back there. And then also uh, pray. We got, I smell something good back there. Uh, we, have, we have food. So let me, let me pray for that. Father, again, I thank you for, for bringing us t- together this morning. I love these people. I really do. I thank you for, 
for bringing them to me and placing them in my life. I just thank you so much for them. Father, I, I pray that you would bless our, our time of giving this morning, that you bless the gift and the giver. And Father, as a, as a body of Christ, I pray that you just give us wisdom as to how to use uh, your money. And then, Father, for our fellowship uh, this morning, Father, bless this time with, uh, with our brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord God, it be a sweet, productive time. Lord God, bless the food. Bless those who have prepared food and brought food. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.